Well, hello once again and welcome not only to Chase Oaks, but also to our little mini series on this passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, about love. The series called Love is a Battlefield. And the song, we just heard some of it, you know, the, the Pat Benatar song, came out in 1983, which was a really big year for me because in 1983 is the year I got my license, the year I started to drive. And in my first car, a 1973 Monte Carlo. I felt so cool in that car. In fact, the front end was so long, I always felt like I could have a head-on collision and not even know it happened uh, in that particular car. And I'm sure I heard that song as I was driving around in 1983, but I didn't hear it very long or I didn't hear it very often because it only took me about a month to total that car. And uh, and that was that was all gone. It was all over. And, and yet, you know, as tricky as it is to for a teenager, you know, if love is a battlefield, you know, the world of traffic is a battlefield. As tricky as it is for a teenager to navigate driving, for me at least, love is a battlefield. Trying to relate as, an, as imperfect people with other imperfect people, that's way trickier. And that's why the Bible is so helpful. And in particular, this passage that we're focused around in 1 Corinthians 13 that describes what love does and how love operates, because it's so unnatural. If you and I just go with our instincts, uh, our relationships really are are not going to go so well. But if we can learn to do this elevated way to relate, this thing called love from a biblical perspective, and God can help us, it changes everything. And last week, Ryan did an incredible job starting out the series talking about how how love plays offense. And what I mean by that, picture like a, like tennis, how you serve over the net, how you relate to other people and how love relates to other people. Today we're talking about, think of the ball coming the other way, about how we respond to other people, how love responds. And we're going to read the passage in a minute, but I want us to think about a scenario as we read the passage. Um, because it's, it's easy to respond to people when they when what comes over the net, when when they're relating to us out of love, when they do what Ryan talked about last week, when they do it really well. It's not so easy to respond well when what comes at us isn't doesn't feel very loving. When people disappoint us, when people hurt us, when they say the wrong thing or say it the wrong way, when they do something they shouldn't or don't do something they should, when they say something they shouldn't or don't say something when they should. And and, and this is going to happen, right? It, it happens all the time in imperfect with relationships with imperfect people. We're going to be hurt. Uh, we're going to be disappointed. Uh, we're going to be not included, whatever goes on. Right. So I want you to think about um, how do we respond when that happens? Because if we just respond naturally, it's probably going to spiral the wrong way. So how, what does love do? And I'm going to read the passage, First uh, Corinthians 13, and get a scenario like that in your mind and see how this is different. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, that is powerful, but that is not natural. Love is actually the essence of love is selflessness. It's, it's putting self aside and putting the other person first. And that's a powerful choice to choose love, but it's not natural. 
So today uh, we're going to look at, at how love responds when people don't serve, when, when people don't relate to us well. Because you and I can't, we can't control how people relate to us, but we can control how we respond. And as I said, if we respond naturally, it's going to go the wrong way. If we respond with love, our relationship can actually get better. And, and again, that's going to happen this week. Somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to disappoint you. Somebody's going to disregard you, disrespect you, not include you. So what are we going to do? And as we think back through this passage with that in mind, it's why I have this uh, filter. This is an oil filter. Um, and, and I'm not pretending I would know what to do with this on a car, where it goes, on the front or back or bottom or top. I have no idea. But the reason I have the, the oil filter is, is I want us to think of those things that happen, kind of like muck in relationships. And we're just going to build a filter and say, okay, how are we going to respond? Um, and we're going to build the filter one little step at a time as we think back through the passage. And so the first stage of the filter is that love, as Paul just said in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not easily angered. So when things come at us, love is not quick to get angry. Love is not easily angered. And then it says here, irritated and offended, right? And there's a like a continuum. And a spectrum. And the reason is this Greek word translated angered, love is not easily angered, is a pretty broad word. And that's why the NIV translates it angered. The New Living Translation translated irritated. Uh, some other translation says offended because the word it refers to all that stuff. That love is not easily angered. It's not easily irritated. It's not easily offended. Now, we all know people, I'm sure, and we try to relate to people who are easily angered, who are easily irritated, who are easily offended. Do you know people like that? People who just, you just have to walk on eggshells around them because they're so easy to offend. They're so easy to get angry. They're so easy to get upset. And their trigger is just, you know, it's like they, they've got the finger on the trigger and, 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 and they're hard to relate to. And for them, you don't want to be that person because when you're that person, you wonder why nobody really wants to relate with you, why nobody wants to hang out with you, why people seem to avoid you. And it's just because it's hard. But the problem is when you're that person, you feel so justified in being angered, feel so justified in being irritated, so justified in being offended. But love makes a different choice. So how do we avoid becoming that kind of person that we don't want to be, the easily angered, easily irritated, easily offended kind of person? Well, let's talk about the choice to love, uh, what, what love does when, when, we're, when we start going that direction. And I'm going to start with irritation because it's like a spectrum. Ir- irritated is kind of small compared to offended. The word refers to all of it. So let's talk about irritation a little bit. What does it look like? Why, why is love not easily irritated? Um, you know, life is irritating. I don't know if you know that, but... It is right. And in fact, the other day I was taking something out of my car and I just trying to clean out my car and there were missile. I was just trying to do too much. I was trying to carry too much. So there was some loose golf balls in there. Uh, I had a jacket. I had a drink that didn't have a top on it. Um, I had a hat, a book or something. And so I'm trying to carry this stuff and, and the golf balls start falling. And then I lean down and the drink spills over and then my jacket falls on the wet, muddy ground. And I say out loud, I hate gravity, which is not really true. Actually, most of the time I like gravity. 
I think gravity's pretty darn cool because otherwise we'd be floating up in space dead, you know. I mean, gravity's pretty important. But at the time, gravity was just so irritating. Even good things like gravity can be irritating. Or in this coronavirus time, I mean, man, there's a lot to be irritating. Like, like anybody else irritated with these masks? I mean, whether or not, you know, people disagree, should we wear a mask or not? I think they're personally, the Jeff Jones version, I think it's a good idea. Uh, but it's still irritating. We can all agree on that, right? And just the coronavirus in general, it's, I mean, aren't we kind of over it? You know, like ready for it to be over? It's not over, but it's just so irritating. There's lots of irritants out there. But the biggest irritants in our life have a name, and it's not coronavirus and it's not face mask. It's names like Jeff. Uh, it's the, the people in our lives that can sometimes just be so irritating and we want to react. But if you choose love, it's actually hard to be irritated. And, and here's what I mean by that. Love sets aside selfishness, sets aside self for the sake of the other. That's the essence of love. The, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness, self-centeredness. And, and it actually, if you, if you consider the other person more than yourself, it's actually really, really hard to be irritated. Let me give you an illustration. So I've talked about in this pandemic a couple of times how difficult it can be sometimes for me to be patient when I'm in a line like at Chick-fil-A and the Chick-fil-A line in the cars, you know, and somebody's taking too long talking to the person and I just, you know, I don't like it. And I, and, and when that happens, I, and, and I get impatient and, you know, they're taking too long talking to the poor kid with the face mask, trying to take the order and they're taking like longer than a minute and it's two minutes, three minutes, right? I want to honk. I don't. Um, I want them banned for life from Chick-fil-A in my head, you know, that they're going too slow. They're messing up the line. But if I actually stop and think about it from that person's perspective, it's really different. And, and I'm trying to do that, to say, wait a minute. You know, and I just sort of imagine this story. What if, what if they're just lonely in this pandemic? And what if this little conversation with the Chick-fil-A person is actually their big interaction of the day? What if, you know, what if it, they just need to talk to somebody? When I think about it that way, it's like, you know what? Talk all you need to talk. I'm good back here. Don't worry about me. Right? If I'm other-focused rather than self-focused, it's actually hard to get irritated. It's, that's why love is not easily irritated. And the same thing is true with offended. Um, that, that love, it's way harder to be offended by other people if we remove self from the equation. And I'm thinking about the other person more than myself. A lot of things that are offenses, are, if I'm other-focused, I'll start just kind of letting a lot of things go. Um, Proverbs 19 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, it is his glory to overlook an offense. There's a lot of things that bother us, that offend us, that we get really upset about, that we hold on to. And, and what Solomon is saying, you know what? It's actually, our, it's actually a glory to us. It's a, it's a wonderful choice when we just choose to let some things go. The things that would offend us, that some things would bother us, a lot of the things that do, we just need to let go. And that's a great part of the filter is just, hey, can I just, is this something I can just kind of let go? And some things you can't let go. It doesn't say love it never gets angry or love never gets offended. It just says it's slow to get angry. It's slow to get offended. Sometimes you should get angry. Sometimes you should get offended. You know, like abuse. That's not something you let go. That's something you deal with. You may need, probably need other people to help you deal with that. 
You don't just let abuse go. Uh, infidelity in a marriage. You can work through that. Uh, you can forgive, like, uh, you know, with these things you have to work through, but you, you, know, you can't just let that go. Racism, like we see in our culture, you can't just let that go. You can work through it. You can forgive, but you don't, there's some things you don't just let go. But a lot of things we can let go that we hold on to. It is his glory to overlook an offense. And, and we'll find ourselves able to do that if you can think about it, again, not from your own perspective, not with self at the center, but the other perspective. Let me give another illustration to make that concrete. So a few weeks ago, I got an email that was not the good kind. It was a zinger of an email. It was just mean. And occasionally, you know, that happens. And uh, this was a person I know, and she used to go to Chase Oaks a long time ago and got upset and doesn't go anymore. But I guess she's reconnected online, which is good. But she must have brought up old stuff because she was not happy. And, and it was uh, the email was not not a good one. It's OK. I, I'm OK with people, you know, criticizing and and that kind of thing that, you know, you want to listen to that. Um, but this was beyond that. This was not constructive. It was not even true. It was not helpful. It, it wasn't, you know, it just wasn't fair. It was just, it was a bad email. It was really mean. And so what's my first response? Well, my first response, right, is to zing back. And the thing is, as a pastor, I'm good at zinging back in a way that feels sort of loving and godly. Uh, it's, it's like a, a Christian passive aggressive thing. Uh, you know, for, as a pastor, I'm used to crafting words in ways that sound good. And, you know, and I, and I'm like, man, I could, and I had it in my head how I could, you know, make it sound like I really care about her, but just zinger at the same time. And, and it would have been beautiful. I was kind of proud of myself, but that's just my sinful flesh. That's not love. And I'm really glad I didn't push send because the Holy spirit got in the way and said, uh, you know, conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's God in, in our, you know, who's in us, who believe. Holy Spirit's like, yeah, you need to pray for her. And that's what Jesus told us to do. That when people offend us, when they abuse, when they, well, when they offend us, when they hurt us, when they harm us, when they persecute us, when they mistreat us, Jesus said, you know, the first thing you need to do is pray for them and do good to them, but pray for them. And what I find is when I start praying for somebody, it's really hard to stay self-focused. It's, it, it makes it much easier for me when I start praying for somebody who's offended me, who's bothered me, to actually start seeing things from their perspective, to have compassion. And that's what happened in that case. And I realized, man, this is a person who's been hurt over and over and over and over again in life by people who should have loved her and didn't. And, and therefore, this is an opportunity for me to minister to her. And, and so I instead wrote back, and I meant it, something like, hey, I'm so glad you reached out. And, and I'm sorry you're upset, but it's really good to hear from you. And it really, I mean, I really meant that. And, man, if there's a way that I can help you, if there's something that in this crazy time, if there's a way I can be helpful, I just, I really want to know what that is. And. Um, but thank you for reaching out and thank you for sharing. Honestly, it changes everything, right? When you see it from the other person's perspective. So one of the first filters, just asking the question when something comes at you, Hey, is, is this something I can just let go? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but let's get to the second part of the filter. And that is love believes 
the best. Love believes the best. What the passage says literally is love believes all things, hopes all things, trusts all things. Another way to say that is love believes the best about the other person. That when somebody relates to me in a way that is offensive or irritating or isn't fair, or isn't good or whatever, right? It's hard in that moment to believe the best because what happens is when, so- when somebody relates to me that way, it creates this gap of understanding. Like, I think, well, why would they do that? Why would they say that? Why would they, you know, why would they talk about me that way? Or, man, they said they would call and they didn't. Or they said they would do this and they didn't. Or whatever it is, right? And what happens is when we have a gap of understanding is our brains real quick, quickly fill in that gap. And what's natural in our self-interested part of ourself, not love, but what's natural is to fill in the gap negatively. Ryan talked about that some last week, not generously or negatively, that, that we fill in the gap in a way thinking, well, they just don't care. They just don't do that, right? And we have a whole story that we create. They're so insensitive. They don't care about anybody else but them. They, you know, they walked past me and they didn't say anything because they're so arrogant. And, and so we, get, we, we kind of build up this story Meaning we assume the worst rather than assuming the best. And often that story has nothing to do with reality because we don't know people's motives. But it's easy when somebody hurts us or wrongs us or says the wrong thing to assign motives to that. And we we fill in the gap negatively. And then we begin to relate to them out of that story. This maybe not even real. Love doesn't do that. Love believes the best until we can clear it up. I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking at a, a conference for church leaders and pastors. It was done by a publisher. I helped write a book uh, years ago, and, and this publisher uh, did this really cool thing, and that is they, they put on this conference, and they, they had 20 authors of different books uh, be the speakers, and so I got to be one of those. And, and it was really cool because the other, 20, the other 19 people on the list were way cooler than me. Um, they, they were names that if you've been around Christianity, you'd kind of know. And, and so I, I was like, man, it's so cool to be, to be in that list, you know, and, and, and to be able to meet some of these people that I don't really know. And, um, and so I was excited about that. So there's a list of 20 people. There's only one person on that list that I didn't want to be paired with because the way they were doing this conference is they chose two people like they paired you up with another person. It was an hour and a half session. You did one in the morning, one in the afternoon, 45 minutes each. And you were paired with one of these other leaders, authors, and which is cool, right? Because you, that's a great way to get to know one of those people. That's really cool. But there's only one person on that whole list that I didn't want to be paired with. And the reason is because I tried to relate to him a couple times before he didn't seem that interested. And the way I filled in the gap was this guy's just an arrogant, uh, insensitive. He's a he's jerk. He's not he, he, I'm not important enough for him. He's just, you know, self, self-important and all this kind of stuff. I just I didn't like him. And I had this whole story about what he was like in my head. And so I prayed. I was like, God, anybody but him. Like, please, not him. And of course, guess who God paired me with. Right. And it was him. So we do this first session. Okay, so we did one and then you do another one in the afternoon. We did the first session, got through that. And then he says, hey, do you want to go to lunch? You know, between the sessions. I didn't really want to go to lunch. And I was surprised he wanted to go with me. And I was like, sure, you know, let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch. And he starts talking and he says, Jeff, man, I just want you to, I just want to encourage you and really thank you. 
man, you, you did such a great job in that talk, and it was so helpful. And, and there's some people that I, I really want to connect you with because I feel like you can help them. And, and I also want to say this, that, man, you have this, God's given you this ability to speak in a way where you, you like, it was really substantive, but it, it was approachable, and it was also, like, you communicate warmth. And he said, man, I have a really hard time doing that. He said, I'm, he's a very smart guy. And he said, I'm so in my own head that I can come across as insensitive. I can come across like I'm not interested in relationships or something like that. And, and, uh, and that's something I can learn from you from. I, I, it's something I'm really praying about. And I, and I just think it's real. So we had this incredible conversation. I realized this is a humble, godly, teachable person that I had misjudged for a couple of years. And, and avoided for a couple of years, not because of reality, but because of how I filled in the gap negatively. I didn't believe the best. I assumed the worst. And what a bummer for me. But it was a great lesson that it's always better to believe the best when there's a gap. When we say, how, why would they do that? Just believe the best. And it may be that you can just let it go at that point if you believe the best. It may be if there's a gap, you you believe the best until you can talk to them and say, hey, look, how come you said you would do this and you didn't? Or why did you walk past me? Or why did this happen? And what I found is when you do that and when you fill in the gap and you and is that most of the time. It's just a misunderstanding. Ninety percent of the time. Love believes the best. So that's the second part of the filter, right? We've got the first part, not easily angered, not easily irritated, not easily offended. Can I let it go? Love believes the best. Just ask, man, am I believing the best? Am I filling the gap in in a generous way? And the other thing, when something comes at us that we don't understand or that seems offensive or bothersome, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Think about this a little bit. It's an accounting phrase that Paul uses. And you can picture like a ledger, right, or a spreadsheet with, with you know, a, a record of wrongs or just like assets and liabilities or credits and debits. And some of you are accountants. God bless you. Some of you are good at accounting, and that's great. Uh, some of us are not. Like when it comes to numbers and accounting and all that, um, I'm one of those that not. Um, Christy does that in our, you know, thing, because when if it were up to me, like I'm proud of myself, not if I balance our checkbook, but if I can find our checkbook. I mean, that's where I'm at. Um, or same thing with the church. Like um, I don't do anything with money in our church. Uh, I, I don't. And that's a good thing. You need to say hallelujah if you love Chase Oaks, because uh, uh, and I know I, I'm just not good at that stuff. And, and fortunately, we have a, a whole financial team. We have a financial director and a financial team. We have people who act, do external audits. We have a great system and a great thing. That's a really good thing. It has nothing to do with me um, because there's a lot of, you know, I'm just, it's not my thing. Like one time, um, I, uh, we, we had Zan Holmes, who's an incredible, just godly guy, speak at our church. And, and he spoke actually several times uh, over uh, the years. And he's just a wonderful guy. And uh, he's known Tyrone Johnson, who's one of our worship leaders for a long time. And, and, uh, and I'd met Zan at a conference. And so we all got connected together. And I said, man, I'd love for you to speak. And, he, and this was the first time he came to speak. So he speaks, of course, does a great job. We got to eat afterwards with Tyrone and his wife, Angela, Christy and me and, and Zan and his wife. And I was so proud of myself because I actually remembered the honorarium check to give to Zan. And I'm, pr- and, and I'm just so, 
I, I forget that kind of stuff so easily. Like I was really like beaming with pride that I actually had the honorarium check that I could give to him, that I didn't lose it, that I, I didn't forget it, leave it somewhere. And so at the end of the meal, I, I hand him the check, you know, or hand him the envelope and he, you know, just put it in his jacket pocket and very graciously. And so we, we all drive away. And Zan didn't have my phone number yet. He had Tyrone's number. And so after a few minutes, he, Tyrone gets a call as they're going back home. And, and, uh, and it's Zan. And Zan says to Tyrone, uh, yeah, Tyrone said, you know how Jeff so graciously gave me that envelope and said, thank you for speaking at Chase Oaks. And Ty's like, yeah, I, I remember that. And he said, well, I, I think Jeff may have made a mistake. I think what he meant to give me was an honorarium check. What he actually gave me was his retirement account statement. <laughs> I wasn't trying to give him my retirement account, but I was trying to give him the honorary. And sure enough, you know, Ty calls and he's dying laughing. And, and I look and, yep, there's the check and I gave the wrong thing. And all, all that to say I'm a bad accountant. Okay, that's, all, that's the whole point of my whole illustration. Except for this. I'm actually a really good accountant. I'm good at record keeping. When it comes to wrongs, I, I'm really good at remembering wrongs. And you know what? You are, too, because it's part of our sinful human nature. We're, we're just naturally good in, in terms of other people of keeping record of wrongs way better than keeping record of rights. There's just this weird part of us that that when when people do good things for us, we kind of just take that for granted because, well, they should do. I mean, you should do that. You know, that's, we don't hardly even think about it unless it's like really remarkable. But we are good at keeping records of wrongs. We remember all the stuff. And that's why sometimes we say things like, well, you never, you always, right? Because we have it, we have it in our book. We have it in our spreadsheet, in our head. And, but the other part about this, and this makes us really tough in relationships, is when it comes to other people, we remember rights way better than, I mean, excuse me, we remember wrongs way better than we remember rights. But when it comes to our performance in a relationship, it's the opposite. We remember all of our rights, but we have a hard time thinking about what we've done wrong in relationships, which creates this imbalance, right? So in, in all of our relationships, we kind of have this imbalance in our sinful human nature where we inflate our, our own good things that we do and, and, and de-emphasize the, the wrong stuff we do and, and vice versa on the other side. So we, we kind of have this idea in our minds, in our, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships that, that, man, we do so much and they don't do anything. Like, man, they, they don't do hardly anything good, right? And love does the opposite. Because that's actually not reality, but love does the opposite. Love focuses on it, it keeps records, but love keeps records of rights, not records of wrongs. That's how God relates to us. When you and I begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, uh, because of the death of Jesus on the cross, on our behalf, taking the penalty for our sin, the Bible says that God forgives us, but also means he forgets it. He chooses to forget our sin. He doesn't regard us anymore that way. He sets that aside. He doesn't remember that anymore. You know what he does keep records of? Not our wrongs, because those have been forgiven. You know what he keeps records of? Every little tiny good thing we do. And the Bible says we will be rewarded for it. I mean, it's crazy that God is that gracious, but that's, that's just the craziness of love. And God is keeping this ledger 
not of the wrongs that we do. When you when if you you know know God, go to heaven. You're not going. He's not going to say, "Can I show you all the stuff, all the bad stuff you did?" Man, you were a goober. He didn't. Not going to do that. We're going to be rewarded for every good thing we've done for all eternity, because love keeps no record of wrongs, but keeps record of rights. Imagine if you and I related that way. If we focused not on record keeping of wrongs, but instead record keeping of rights, how it change our relationships. And think about it. Have you related to somebody related to somebody who's a positive person, like not negative, not somebody who's always bringing up all the wrong stuff you do. And you always do this. You never do this. You never measure it. You know, that that's hard to relate to. Right. And that's not motivating to do better. But have you ever been around a positive person that just says, man, it is so cool. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Well, what do you you just want to do that more, right? It's just motivating to love better, to do better. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Because, you know, the alternative, if we keep record of wrongs, if we hold on to stuff and don't just let it go, or even if we work through it, we don't forgive. If we hold on to wrongs and keep record of wrongs, it just weighs us down in life. Like, let's let's talk about it this way. Um, let's say I have an imaginary or not imaginary, but a fictional friend named Ted. Um, I think the name, I like the name Ted. I don't think I have somebody that I regularly relate to like a friend named Ted, which is kind of sad to me. So if your name is Ted out there, uh, reach out to me and, and, and I might be offending you right now. If your name is Ted and actually do know you, like, you know, you're saying, dude, like I was in your wedding, you know, or Hey, we played golf last week. Okay. So sorry, Ted, if that's it, but you know, hopefully you'll keep no record of this one, but, um, uh, but let's say I had this fictional friend named Ted and Ted is an interesting guy because Ted always walks around with this really big backpack, like everywhere he goes and he loves to correct, collect rocks. And so every day he just kind of puts different rocks in there and he's got like 200 pounds of rocks that he carries around with him all the time. And, and Ted's a little bit of a drag because he's slow because he's so weighed down and you have to always help him up because he, he just a lot of times he just gets stuck and, and, and you can't get up. And so, you, you know, you help him up. And, and, and not too long ago, it was really a problem because I went to the lake and on this boat and jumped off the boat to swim. And Ted had a really hard time because he was drowning, right? Because he had 200 pounds. I mean, he couldn't stay out, you know. And everybody was just saying, Ted, let it go. Like, just let the backpack go. All it is is rocks. Like, come on, just, just let him go. But he wouldn't let it go. He preferred drowning to just letting the worthless rocks go. And that's the way a lot of people go through life. These worthless things that we hold on to, that we just won't let go, that weigh us down. And and a lot of people prefer drowning to to actually thriving in life. And, And when you're able to keep no record of wrongs and instead keep record of rights and you are able to forgive and you're actually able to let things go, man, is it freeing. Imagine if we actually did this instead of keeping no records of rights, keep record, no records of wrongs, keep records of rights. I'm going to encourage you to choose a relationship and literally do this, like keep a little notebook or um, make notes on your phone. Do it for a whole week. Uh, maybe it's your marriage or a friendship or something, a coworker or something like that. And just Every time they do something, even a little tiny, every time they do something nice or good or loving or whatever, make a note of it. Keep a record of rights. And I bet if we started doing that, we realize, hey, you know what? <laughs> They're actually a lot less of a goober than I thought they were. Um, 
They'd be a lot healthier. So let's put the filter together, all right? Because this week, something's going to happen. Somebody's going to disappoint you. Somebody's going to disrespect you. Somebody's going to talk about you. Somebody's going to not include you. Somebody's going to disregard you, uh, right? They're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to do the wrong thing. That's going to happen because we're imperfect people relating to imperfect people. And so when that happens, how are we going to respond? Well, love, let's put it through the love filter here. First thing is, can I let it go? Just ask, you know what? Is this one I just need to let go? Like Solomon said, it's a glory to let an offense go. Maybe this one just, you know what? I just need to let it go. Um, you know, they had fun at my expense or whatever, but that's okay. I'm just going to let this one go. Now, so again, like I said, some things, answer is no. Can't let this one go. But even in then, even then, the goal is to work through it. And the Bible helps us know that. That's another sermon. But to speak the truth in love, to... Uh, to work through it in a way with the intent to eventually forgive so I can let it go. Eventually, you may have to work through it before you let it go. But the first question is, hey, you know, is this one that maybe I can just let it slide? That's another way to translate the passage is, you know, love just lets a lot of things slide. Maybe this is something I just need to let it slide. Second part of the filter. Am I believing the best? That, that I don't understand why this person did this or said this or why they didn't do something that they should have done or whatever. And instead of believing it, it, the worst, just ask, you know, am I believing the best? Um, and, and maybe I need to clarify it. Maybe I need to talk to them. Maybe I need to just say, hey, can you help me understand, you know, what's going on there? And, and again, most of the time I found, I mean, my math says it's about 90%. Now, we've already known you can't trust my math. But my math says it's about 90% of the time. It's just, um, it's, it's a misunderstanding. And if I've created this whole story in my head about, you know, as I assume the worst, then, man, that's a, that's a sin against that person. So it's a great question or great filter. Just am I believing the best about that person? And then am I choosing to remember the rights or the wrongs? How long am I going to hold on to this thing? Because at some point I need to forgive. At some point I just need to let it go. And am I focusing on the wrongs or am I focusing on the rights? And sometimes it's helpful when we're disappointed with somebody to think about the rights and to think about, man, let me just put this in perspective a little bit with all the good that they've done for me or all the good that they do or whatever. And, and which am I going to focus on? And by the time you get through that filter, um, it really changes how we respond when people relate to us in ways that are less than perfect. And it actually can strengthen the relationship rather than spiral it down. If we relate in self-interest and, you know, do what we would naturally do, it's probably not going to go well. But if we can just practice Love, putting self aside and focusing on the other person, pretty powerful what can happen. Now, that's not natural, which means we need supernatural help. And so we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to do just that, to help us love well, to help us respond well when people are less than perfect in the way that they relate to us, which is most of the time, right? Because we're relating to imperfect people. So I'm going to invite us right now, wherever we are, just to, to pray. And we're going to ask God to help us and just go through a little prayer process. All right. So let's pray together. And I'm going to invite you. What prayer is, is just talking to God in your own words. He's your father. He wants to talk to you, wants to hear from you. You don't have to be impressive. You don't have to be like use 
special languages, talk to him. And so right now, I know some of you have some difficult relationships and, and some of them are really tricky. And just say, God, help me know what love means right now. And again, there are some situations where love means you can't keep letting that happen. You've got to go get somebody to help you. And, and that's something that just ask God in that situation. But I'm not in that situation. God, then help me to love in the way that we've talked about, to not be so easily angered. Help me believe the best. Help me keep a record of rights, not a record of wrongs. Help me to, to just let some things go here. Help me to forgive and move on. And some of you are like my fictional friend, Ted. Uh, you're carrying around a backpack of a bunch of stuff. And you're bringing that into every relationship, all those past hurts, all those past pains, and it is weighing you down. And let me encourage you to ask God right now just to help you jettison the backpack, to let those worthless things go. And just say, God, would you free me from all that? Father, thank you for how you relate to us. Because we're so imperfect in the way we relate to you. And would you help us to relate to others the exact same way? In Jesus' name, amen.